what is your favorite solo Beatles song? So do you mean after the Beatles have disbanded? After the Beatles have... Well, not as the Beatles. What your favorite Beatle not being in the Beatles song Yes. (laughs) That makes sense to me. I get it. Oh, fuck. (gasps) Mine, or at least one of them, is uh, My Sweet Lord. Yeah. By George Harrison. Yeah. Because it's a fucking great song. It is a great song. It gets stuck in my head a lot, too. It's been stuck in my head for, like, two days at this point. Because I remembered it existed on, like, Friday. (laughs) And now it's Sunday, and it's still stuck in my head. Still there. It's still Still, there. Still there. That's when you know it's a good solo song. That's fair. Actually, my favorite solo Beatles song is the song that a lot of people don't know. It's by Paul McCartney called Dance Tonight. It was released hmm. probably 11 years ago, and I heard it for my first time when I was in Ireland, and I thought it was just really cute, and it works so really well. So it's a newer It is a newer Paul McCartney Theoretically, song. because it's after the 2000s. Yeah. So it was about probably like a 2007 release. It's so such a he cute was song. Like, it was, he was touring yeah, at that point. Yeah, definitely. And I think Natalie, what's her face? The Star Wars Natalie. The Black Swan, Natalie. Portman. Portman. Thank you. <laughs> was in it, in the music uh, the music video for it. So it's cute, though. I, just, I like it. Look it up. It's a cute song. Dance Tonight by Paul McCartney. Everybody knows My Sweet Lord, which is a... Everybody knows a, that one. It's a George classic, it's a solid though. one. And uh, with that, we're going to hit up part two of the Beatles White Album. Second, second, second going. Whatever. I don't know. Welcome don't, back to Rock Candy. <laughs> I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And I would like to start off by really apologizing for the last episode. We didn't realize till about the last quarter that we weren't hooked up properly. So I think most of it was recorded by my garbage laptop. The looks mic. on our faces when we realized that that cord was unplugged. I edited it out, but it was a good solid 35 seconds of silence just staring at silent the cord. Silent freaking out. Yeah. Just internal screaming. Like, did we just go for 45 minutes not recording anything? So we recorded it, but it's real garbage. And we are yeah. sorry. This should be better. And we're gonna we're just gonna move forward from it. It's growing pains. It was our first episode. So if you bared with us, thank you. We appreciate it. Trial and error. Trial and error. And if you didn't bear with us, then you didn't even get to hear our apology. Mostly error. But you know. error. There's gonna be more of these. So it's gonna happen. Get get ready. Get used to get it. Get ready for that. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm about to hand out some trick or treat and little can- rock candy treats for <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. For some Beatles, some Beatles knowledge on the second album. Some nice little nuggets of knowledge yeah. for you trick-or-treaters. There you go. It's candy. <laughs> it's candy. Get it? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> so we last left off. We finished up the first album, which was 17 songs. Didn't realize that. And now we're going to hit up on the second side, which will begin with Birthday. Yeah. 
So my favorite part about this song, if you're listening with headphones, I feel you hear this better. Paul basically is shouting, <laughs> say it's your birthday. <laughs> and you want to say, Paul, bring down. it down. You are up at an 11 and we really <laughs> like, need it at a good solid eight. I know it's my birthday. I'm really excited too. But you don't need to be that excited you for are me. <laughs> way too excited for me about my own goddamn birthday. Maybe he just... Re- Maybe he anticipated this being played at, like, every person's birthday after its release. He was probably really hoping this was going to replace the happy birthday song. (laughs) I'm assuming. Because I don't know why else you would be so goddamn excited. Except, he wrote this, Paul, this, uh, excuse me, he wrote this song for Linda for her 26th birthday. That makes sense. It makes sense. It. He was probably, (laughs) he probably suffers from the same problem that I have about shouting when you're nervous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe he was so nervous that Linda wouldn't like the song that he shouted throughout the whole thing. That's the story I'm going with in my head. Yeah. That could, <laughs> that's the only explanation it is. for how the only excited one. he is about this. Way I mean, too but excited. at the same time, like, it makes sense that he would be that excited about Linda's. Can you imagine him being this excited about John's birthday? No. 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 Can you imagine him being this excited about Ringo's birthday? Maybe. A little bit. <laughs> uh, actually, the song, while Paul wrote majority of it, it was a 50-50 effort between him and John. And they made it all up in one night. Un- they, they <laughs> you just don't started, say. Yeah, I don't you know. Don't I don't say. know if you're impressed or not, but they did it in one night. <laughs> I'm sorry. How did this make the album? Really? How did this make the album? It's, it's a fun little song. It's a fun song. It's but a there's other birthday fun, song. Like, Wild Honey Pie is a fun little song. And you're like, how did this make how it? How did this one You know, make again, it? though, it still deserves to be on this album more than one song. But we'll get there. We're getting <laughs> we'll there. Get we'll one. get to that one. It, they just started off with the, the starting riff. They built around it. After they did the initial taping... They asked Yoko and Patty to do the backup vocals that you hear later. So that's kind of cute. So it's kind of cute because it has this little story of, oh, we all wrote this cute song for Linda for her birthday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. John was interviewed by Playboy back in 1980 and said, quote, birthday was written in the studio, just made up on the spot. I think Paul wanted to write a song like Happy Birthday Baby, the old 50s hit, but it was sort of made up in the studio. It was a piece of garbage. (laughs) Thanks, John. And that's a hot take How by John How do you Lennon. really feel about this song, John? Oh, John. Uh, yeah, that's, that's about all there is about birthday. Not it's a man a that minces words. He doesn't. Oh, oh no. John was known to be the asshole, which, good for him. Good for him. You gotta be known for something. You know, not being a great musician. You're just, you're just kind of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that'll bring us to our next song, which is Your Blues by... John. give it to the Beatles that they have very aptly named 
Because if you see, if you read, you know, the, the track listing on this album and you see a song called Year Blues, you expect it to be very bluesy. And they deliver. Did not disappoint. Did not disappoint. Did not disappoint. <laughs> so this is credited to Lennon McCartney. John had written it. He was very depressed at the time. Brian Epstein just passed away. The Beatles were hanging on by a thread. And at this point, he was considering to end his marriage. So he, actually, he was had said he had been feeling nearly suicidal at the time and used the song as an outlet for those feelings. He actually, so funny you say about the blues part, he kind of wanted to have a satirical punch at the British blues boom. There are such bands like Fleetwood Mac in the oh, mid-60s yeah. that were white boys playing blues oh, music. Super, super trying real hard to trying do the blues hard. thing. And they were just a bunch of tall, lanky white boys from <laughs> fucking England that were trying real hard to real be hard to be blues. And it was very much that controversy of, can white boys play blues, though? Very much like in the 90s, can white boys rap, though? And... Uh, white men can't jump also. Right. But, but you know, eventually the white boys blues decently. They'll never be up to the OG standards. But no. But they can do. They're all right. Right. They're all right. I mean, you can't, as a, as a white boy, can't really understand all of the racial shit that most of the original blues musicians were going through nope. that led them to really want or that led them to create blues, yeah. as we know you it. Don't, you don't have that heartache. You really, you don't. you're never going to experience no. it the same way. It's never going to happen. Well, and that's why John took this approach. He knew that his feelings were very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And I don't even mean that in a shady, dramatic way. Like These were very hard feelings to deal with. And very, very real. Very real. And he didn't... John's never been the one to you know, take himself too seriously. So he took this blues approach to say, hey, I want to die, but like, I'm going to laugh about it still. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to give him credit for that, at least. What what style works better for depression than the blues? Right. And they actually recorded it, the song in a large closet to give it that real raw, stripped down feel. And the band was just shouting and screaming throughout the whole thing to just really give it that total desperation. You know what? I kind of like creative. it. It's creative. It's good. You know what? Good form. Good good attempt good form. on that. I like it. Now let's listen to our next song, which is Mother Nature's Son. Born a poor young country boy Mother Nature's Son All day long I'm sitting singing songs for everyone So another song attributed to Len McCartney. In India, both John and Paul wrote songs about the unity of man and nature, all those sweet feelings after going to a lecture by the Maharashi. Mm-hmm. They both had these songs. John had one called A Child of Nature. Paul had Mother Nature's Son. Inevitably, Paul's Mother Nature's Son gets picked to be on the album. And it was another one that Paul recorded the entire thing by himself in 25 <laughs> takes. 
It's not even a bad song. I just wonder, you know, was John jealous or mad saying, well, I want my song. Well, Fine. I want my nature song on there. No, I want my nature song on there. And poor, poor George like, and Ringo are in the corner just saying, just, can someone n- notice us? <laughs> Hi. Hi, we're over here too. No, you know what? Fine. You guys can fight over your stupid what? nature song. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> we can only have one nature song on the album. Figure it out. <laughs> it just ended up being Paul's. But not much to say about it. It's a really sweet, simple acoustic guitar song. All Paul. Easy enough to do. So I guess we'll just move on to next. our next. 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 Which is Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey. It's a long title. Okay. song starts off kind of okay okay and then you get really in it with the guitars and the drums and i'm like oh no i'm into this song i'm ready to go oh man let's rock out <laughs> yes lennon mccartney song john wrote it and john wrote it for yoko surprise surprise yeah another john song for yoko yeah. <laughs> he said quote that was just sort of a nice line that i made into a song it was about me and yoko Everybody seemed to be paranoid except for the two of us who are in the glow of love. So wait, is he calling Yoko a monkey? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. I didn't think about that, actually. <laughs> he said, everything is clear and open when you're in love. Everybody was sort of tense around us. You know, what is she doing here at this session? Why is she with him? All this sort of madness is going on around us because we just happen to want to be together all the time. Questions that people are still asking. Yeah. <laughs> Questions that we still don't have the answers to. Yeah. And never will. Probably not. Yeah. And you know, honestly, a good friend is going to say to you, you know, I know you're really in love right now. And I get it, but we're really sick of you bringing her around. <laughs> we want some bro time. And girls say it's their girlfriends. Look, I know you love him, but can we just have one girl's night where you don't bring up Chad. Just <laughs> one. I'm over it. Why is Chad ki- here? We're kind of tired of Chad. It's wine and crochet night and Chad doesn't even want to be here. <laughs> Why did Chad even say yes when you invited him? And even worse would be if Chad wanted to be there and then corrected everybody on their crocheting the entire time. Oh, John. F- fuck Chad. John, that is why everyone bitched about Yoko Don't being be a around. Chad. Don't be a Chad. Don't be a Chad. Chad's being a Yoko right now. <laughs> straight up Yoko trying to break up the crochet group that's what's happening right now I'm really glad none of my friends dated Chad that's not a good name Yeah, don't no. do it don't do it guys I've known a few Chads they've never been good it's, never, it's not a good sign his name's Chad run away run away he's gonna ruin your crochet group you guys are in the middle of making a beautiful blanket George claimed that the title came from one of the Maharashi sayings uh, and he added, and my monkey at the end of it. But Paul believed it was just about heroin because John and Yoko were super into heroin. <laughs> Here's, you know, that's, that's what you do to your friends. It's just about heroin. 
That's all they do. <laughs> Basically, if you don't understand what what your friend's song is about, just be like, it's bad heroin. Might be accurate, actually. It could be. To be honest. Speaking of heroin, we're gonna link we're gonna just slink into our next song here, Sexy Sadie. So, okay, I do vaguely remember reading something about this song. Weren't they call? Wasn't Sexy Sadie actually the Maharishi? Oh yeah. And there was some like sexual harassment thing going on. Yeah. So I like to call this John Lennon throws throws shade part two. <laughs> the reckoning. The library is open. <laughs> I I do have to say I do appreciate this part of John. He's very much the library is open. <laughs> 24-7. Oh, yeah. He originally called it Maharashi. And that, but that was too, too that was, in your face? It was a little too on the nose. Okay. Everyone decided, John, maybe maybe we shouldn't call it the Maharashi. <laughs> maybe we should call it something else. Yep. So he came up with the song after leaving India because he was so frustrated. He, he something to know about John. Uh, he always was looking for that thing, whether it was religion, whether it was drugs, whether it was meditation, he was always trying to find this higher experience. And it sounds like he was almost gullible when it came to like, he, that's fair. Like if he were still living today, it would be like, he's a guy that if he had insomnia and ended up staying up real late to the point where there were a lot of infomercials on he would see those infomercials and be sucked right in and like he would be the 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 guy that would get like <laughs> the QVC he, he he would be obsessed the with power, QVC the bullet what was that bullet it was just the bullet on QVC yeah. all the time. The he magic bullet. bullet. He bought 20 magic bullets. He, ha- he had 20, all the magic bullets. He had all the shake weights. He had... <laughs> he fucking loved Shark Tank. And <laughs> <laughs> if John Lennon was still on today, he would fucking love Shark Tank. He would love it. He'd be on it. He would be on it. He would be like... you know, Remember those roasters? Those fucking roaster <laughs> yes. things? He would, have, he would have the red copper things. He, so... It's he would really, have everything. It's really funny you he, say that. He would be everybody's grandmother. Oh my god. And his mansions are just filled with shit he bought on SC.TV. Not even open. <laughs> Not even open. He would have like all of them. Just And he'd be like, I'm, I'm using them. I'm just collecting for Christmas. Everybody's getting a shake wave for Christmas. Uh, Uncle John gave me another fucking <laughs> shake weight. Oh, I've gotten shake weights three years oh. in a row. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Alzheimer's hit him real bad. You know, maybe I'm not gonna say it. Oh, poor. But John. it's funny. It's funny that you say <laughs> he actually in the '70s for a little bit found Christianity. And was addicted to televangelists. How did he even not... How, Televangelist. How did he not get sucked into a cult? 
He got shot in 1980. That's why. <laughs> that's why. He probably would have been on the cults in 1990. He probably would have joined Heaven's Gate. Ooh, or Scientology. Or Scientology. He might have. Because he'd pay enough. They would tell oh, yeah. him how great he was. Oh, yeah. He, he would be sucked into Scientology mm-hmm. real hard. Yeah. Well, we really went on a huge tangent about what, what would have happened if John Lennon... The alternate universe of John Lennon <laughs> if he wasn't shot by some douchebag There in might be an alternate universe out there somewhere where John Lennon is still alive and he's, like, BFFs with Tom Cruise and, oh like... Oh, my God. <laughs> partying with John Travolta. So what you're telling me is it could have been worse. It, it could have been worse. I do want to visit that universe, though. Just to see it. Just, okay. Good. Just good be like, know. you know what? I like my universe like better. what happened, you know? This is fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. This is I fine. I mean, Donald J. fucking Trump is president, but I'm good. I'm good. good. <laughs> Things could have been worse. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. When obviously he left India, really disillusioned, thought the Maharashi was going to do all these ma- magical things for him. But they oh, all he w- didn't? I know. You don't You're fucking surprised. I'm You're- so surprised. Well, they found out, apparently, that the Maharashi was using them for their money and fame. You don't say. I know. Oh, my God. Real surprising news here. Apparently, there were also accusations of sexual harassment on the part of the Maharashi. And and you know what? Fuck the Maharashi. Good, so. for, good for the Beatles for saying... Nah, we're walking away. <laughs> yeah. People say they weren't true, but I'm going to go ahead and believe any woman that said she was touched by a creepy little man. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and trust that. When they left, John, when they left, the Maharashi asked him, what are you leaving for? And John said, well, if you're so cosmic, you'll know why. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Doses. <laughs> dropped the mic. Left. And John Lennon has left the fucking building. Good form. Slow clap. Good form. At one point in the original demo, John can be heard cursing, Maharashi, you little twat, who the fuck do you think you are? Oh, you cunt. Oh, my new favorite insult, you Maharashi twat. You little twat. You cunt. Love it. I love hearing British people say cunt. That might be my favorite you thing. You cunt. You, we can't. You cunt. Yeah. I can't. That was not anything. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Let's go to our next look. Speaking of sorry's. Let's go to our next song, Helter Skelter. That's a, oh, that's a big sorry. <laughs> when I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. When I stop and I turn and I can go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do you, don't you want me to love you? I like this song because it's 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 as punk as the Beatles get. Yes. You know? It's, it's so punk. It is. It's a Lennon McCartney song, and what surprises a lot of people is to know that Paul wrote it. Because it's a real John song. It is. But isn't this the song that Paul wrote because he wanted it to sound like a John yes. song? Yes. Well, kind of. Yes. Okay. He, he wanted to prove that he could write a song like John would write a song. Right. John even kind of, I don't think he was jealous, but he had a bit of, huh, Paul wrote that. Yeah. I didn't write that. Yeah. Huh. When it, when it all was said and done. Because out of all of them, 
I think John had the most punk yeah. kind of attitude, at least musically. He yes. had the most punk attitude. Definitely. And Paul also kind of had this kind of play it safe yeah. kind of attitude. A and he was bit. very light and flowery. I mean, Martha, my dear, come on. Yeah. That's John. Or I'm sorry, that's Paul. He had more of like the sweet side, whereas John was more the rock and roll exactly. kind of punk exactly. side. And the confusing lyrics, all that yeah. jazz. And I think even if it even if it wasn't actually explicitly expressed by the two of them, they kind of had that rivalry where, mm-hmm. like, John or um, Paul wanted to really prove that he could be as hard ass as yes. John was. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Paul wanted to show up and say, nah. I got this. Yeah. He was inspired, actually, after reading a review of The Who's I Can See for Miles, and everyone said, oh, it's a freak out yes. force. It's the loudest and rawest song you're ever going right. to hear. Yes. Anything ever, baddest thing ever recorded. And Paul's like, I can do that. <laughs> well, Paul didn't even just say, I could do that. Paul listened to it and was underwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> so he decided, I'm going to write what everybody's talking about. Right. And you're, you kind of look at it and say... All right, let's see what. Oh, he did it. All right, good, good, good form. Good, good, good job, you. Paul. All right, all right. Uh, the first time they set up to record it, it was just a half hour jam session. Realized it was way too long. Put it on the shelf for a couple months. They came back to it. Apparently, out of their minds, which can mean they just did nothing but tons of LSD and decided we're going to record this song. <laughs> this is well, honestly, if you're gonna. Do a song like that. Yeah. D- high out of your fucking minds is probably a good time to do it. It actually sounds like they had a lot of fun doing it. A lot of yeah. screaming, shouting. They're probably just high again like old times. Having a nice day. Singing a fun song. And this is where Ringo shouts the legendary rock and roll line. I've got blisters on my fingers! <laughs> and if you don't know that line, you don't know rock and roll. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah. Even Family Guy made a joke about that. Yeah. So, come on. You know know that song. Everybody knows Helter Skelter. If If you don't, go listen to it right now. Even if you don't know it as the Beatles song, then you've got to know it as, as related to the Manson family murders. Boom. So, Charles Manson... Was one of the many Americans. We don't know what a Helter Skelter is. Do you know what a Helter as, Skelter is? As an American, <laughs> no. But as a Beatles fan and an Anglophile, yes, there you I go. do. A, a Helter Skelter is actually, it's like a carnival ride. It's almost, it's a an slide. amazing carnival ride. Yeah, right. It's a very tall, windy slide around a tower. Around a tower. And it's popular in England, yes. apparently, and it's called the Helter Skelter. It, I need you to Google, if you're listening, Google Helter Skelter Go- right now. But, no, 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 Well, Helter Skelter ride, excuse yeah. me. Helter Skelter amusement ride. <laughs> because if you if you Google Helter Skelter, you're just going to get a shit ton of Charles Manson shit. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lot of Manson Google photos. Helter Skelter slide or ride or something like that. Yes. And you will understand what a helter-skelter is. But, and it looks and, delightful. And even in the song, they're talking about the ride. Yes. Very clearly they're talking about the ride. But Charles Manson heard it and thought, alright, this is what's gonna happen. There's we, gonna be a race war. It, 
Charles Manson listened to it and thought, race war. Oh. Th- no, 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 not the at all. The blacks are going to uprise and kill the bourgeois whites. That's what's going to happen. And I'm going to hide in a hole in the desert with my family and just bone them the entire time so we yeah. have babies. And then we're going to come out and fight the black people. And then we're going to be the winners. Which no. really, in what universe, if any of this actually did happen, in what universe does the Manson family win any physical battles? <laughs> Also, go look up Charles Literal, Manson. He was like, like five two, tiniest, tiny skinniest man. white people. You're not winning anything. You're not. Oh no, you're starving. Yeah, you're not winning anything. You're not winning anything. But nice it's, try. It's, try and counts. No, it doesn't. It don't, don't do this. Don't no, ever do this. No, it does not. Don't do Stop. it. <laughs> oh, and speaking of stopping, let's go to our next song. Long, long, long. You know, sometimes you listen to the radio and you hear a song and at one point you say to yourself, is this song about a love between two people or a love for Jesus? (laughs) Honestly, I have that. Like every time I listen to an (laughs) Avid Brothers song, I'm like, are they talking about Jesus? Because I'm not really sure. I mean, girlfriends, I don't know. I don't know. I, really I don't, don't know. know. I have no idea. I mean, I really, but I, despite that, I really like the song. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it's, it. It does like, it can, st- I'm not saying there's anything wrong with singing about that. It can still be I a love song, but yeah. you know those feelings. Well, this song is one of those. George wrote this song really about, I wouldn't say Jesus. It's really about his love of God, but not Christian God, just higher power God, but when you hear it, you kind of think, oh, is he singing about Pat? No, no, he's not singing about Pat. He's singing, okay, all right, good to know. He was really the only Beatle to commit to that transcendentalism, the Eastern religion. Yeah, he committed pretty hard. He really went into it. I mean, he still studied all sorts of Eastern practices, even after the other Beatles left. Mm-hmm. They were not about that. And George was kind of sad about it. He was kind of bummed. He felt a little distanced from everybody else. So he used the song to express that spiritual refuge that he finds through meditation. So sweet. basically he was like the only one that really got it through for that yeah. whole that whole experience with the Maharishi retreat thing. He was the one that got it the most. Whereas yeah. everybody else was kind of disillusioned with it and went home kind of pissed off (laughs) well yeah and so Ringo and his wife Maureen left after maybe two weeks because they were not about that life no and I don't blame them they didn't like the bugs they didn't like the food (laughs) they were done they were trying to be good sports they were done Paul and George kind of stuck or I'm sorry Paul and John stuck it out with George but they all still left early yeah Paul and John didn't get anything out of it George still got things out of it, but he does, he did say at one point, I don't agree with who the Maharashi is, but I do agree with those practices. I do like meditation. 
I do think that there's a higher power to search within yourself. I always got the impression that he was uh, <laughs> the most hardcore about it. Mm. The most, um, even if he wasn't like super into whatever the Maharishi was teaching and stuff like that, he still was probably the first to get into it and the last to like stop being so hardcore about it. Yeah. <clears throat> he, I, I feel like even up to... You know, the day he died, he was still very committed to that. You, you couldn't tell by the Got My Mind Set On You video very much, <laughs> but it's so much fun. Yeah. Oh, it was one of my favorite videos when I was a kid. Good just everything moving by itself. It's it was, ha- he's it just was having a good fascinating time. to like a, a seven-year-old. Seriously. We fascinating. had a good time. Yeah. yeah George, George had a good time. I yeah. had a good time with that video. I still have a good time with that video. And his, like, weird half mullet. Oh, the half mullet was choice. Yes. That was was pure 80s amazingness. Wait, did it come out in the 80s? I feel like it was late 80s. It had to be. I want to say, like, 89. I think I was, like, kindergarten age. Yeah. Or younger. We're dating ourselves, but yeah. Yeah. I gotta look that shit up now. (laughs) And I don't care if I date myself. I look damn good for 34 years old. I've gotten good compliments for being nearly 34, so, you know, I'll take it. (laughs) So next on our list, we got Revolution 1. That's Revolution 1, Lennon-McCartney song, obviously written by John. Now, a lot of you probably know it a little faster than that. A lot of us, I think, prefer it a little faster than mm-hmm. that. Well, the original recording was this. It was that bluesy, slow-paced song. That was, I think, for a reason. John, of course, being the most politically active, was aware of protests going on around the world. There was communism, the Vietnam War... There was the civil rights movement. There was all this stuff going on. Just crazy pants. And he disagreed with a lot of the methods. I, I think it tended a little bit more towards the violent back then in the protests. It still does today, but I think on... Um, he it didn't... was far more uh, violent on the police. Yeah. I think. Well, I think... I, I'm not going to get into a political discussion yeah. now, but irregardless... <laughs> He didn't agree with the methods. He didn't agree with the the violence that would go on. And he wrote Revolution because he believed he knew the best method for social change was to have talks and debate. That's the best way you're going to change people's minds. You're not going to do it through any kind of physical presence. You're going to do it through talking with people, not rioting in the streets. He thought revolutions always end in violence. This is not going to be any different. He is a little judgy. He's looking at everybody saying, come on, stop being so aggressive and, you know, chill out. Let's all have a chat. Which is kind of, not really contradictory, but kind of bumps up against uh, Paul's 
Blackbird. Yeah, it does. In a way. It which does. Which is kind of weird because it's on the same album. And you have Paul saying, like, keep up the fight. do Keep doing what you're doing. And, you know... Really fight for what yeah. you believe you in. You're only waiting for this moment to yeah. arise. And then, and then you have John saying, well, maybe you should calm the fuck down a little bit. <laughs> calm the fuck down, guys. <laughs> and just talk shit out. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting that both of those songs ended up on the same album. Yeah, and especially from who they were saying. Right. You would think John would say, yeah, fucking yeah, kick yeah, you down would... the... The hierarchy. Yeah, you would absolutely think that, like, Mr. Rebel John Lennon would be all about people just rising up and getting justice for Mm -hmm. what they believe in in any way possible. And and he was the opposite. He he actually took a lot of his teachings from India and kind of went more of a pacifist route. (laughs) It was just like, chill out, man. Chill out, bro. Bro, just, bro just roll the joint. Let's fucking talk about it. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, it John. It doesn't always work that way, John. It does not work. And they, they it works for you because you are a white male. You're a rich white male. A rich white male. Mm. It doesn't actually, work so well for the rest of us. He dealt with a lot of backlash because of that. A lot of people called him out and saying, you know, you're being a wuss. You're being a rich white male. Your privilege is showing, basically. Right. It's the 60s yeah. equivalent to that. And they went with the slower one, I think... Because they didn't want to, he didn't want to come off too aggressive, but he did want yeah. it to be a single. Yeah, I mean, if 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 they had sped that up to the pace that we know it, mm. it could turn into almost a a, a anthem, yeah. almost for what was going on and exactly. anybody who had pro was protesting anything at that point because well, how many people don't listen to lyrics of songs they would oh, yeah, hear revolution no. and they use hear it. say you want a revel fucking this is my anthem yep that's don't. it and then you don't listen to the rest of the lyrics and hear oh uh, yeah oh it's not about causing mayhem oh it's oh, about talking yeah. to shit through okay oh, okay shit. well when he wanted to, he said he wanted to be a single and paul and george said yo is Way too slow. Yeah. We need to speed this up. And that is how we ended up um, with the single that we know now. Because they ended up releasing it on a single as the more rock and roll version that we Back have. Back when singles were a thing. Guys, do you remember singles? No. I do. <laughs> I, rem- I remember buying Oh, no. I, I absolutely remember cassettes. Cassette singles. Cassette singles. And 12 versions of the same song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you could buy them for like three dollars. Which is basically the equivalent of $10 today, almost. And you had this the actual radio edit of the song if it if it had swear words in it, you had the the radio edit and the unedited Mm -hmm. version. You could if it was a dance tune or an R and B song. Oh, you had at least three remixes. You had like three remixes on there, and then you had the B side, which was the probably upcoming second single or the second best song on the album. Yeah. Oh god, I miss singles. Except right. that I just get all my music online. So and I believe Sorry. I believe they call them a cassingle. Wait, really? You, yeah, they what? call them a cassingle because oh, it was a cassette, but it was a single. Oh my god, what have I missed out on? Did Did you not shop at Media Play? I, I mean, didn't. come on, I didn't have a Media Play. God damn it, son of a out. bitch! I got my singles at Bradley's. 
the fuck is a Bradley's? See, there we go. That's another conversation for another this, day. But Holla, that's, if that's you know a, what a Bradley's is. That's another podcast altogether. podcast altogether. We could just have one episode of this <laughs> podcast that's just like, hey, remember this <laughs> remember, music remember strawberries? Yes, I remember strawberries. <laughs> there was one in Hudson and it was fucking fantastic. <laughs> and then it closed and it turned into a t- coconuts. Which is the same store. But it wasn't as good. It wasn't. It was nowhere near as good. Things as good as a strawberry. (laughs) Speaking of strawberries, I'd like to go to our next song, (laughs) Honey Pie. (laughs) They're both sweet. Honey Pie, you are making me crazy. I'm in love, but I'm lazy. So won't you please come home? My position is tragic Come and show me the magic Of your Hollywood song Well, cutesy, cutesy Paul song It's a little kind of, it's kind of silly Especially after Revolution Yeah It's a cutesy little, cutesy little Paul song It's like, it's one of those like old-timey songs. Exactly. It's kind of weird. Paul wrote it for his father, who was also a musician. Okay. And his dad did all of those quote-unquote fruity old songs. (laughs) And Paul actually loved them. He loved hearing his dad make them when he was growing up, so he wanted to write a sweet little song kind of in honor of his dad, which is, it's cute. Paul says he loved the top hat and tails thing. That's exactly what I picture when I listen. fucking kicking around. (laughs) Lifting up your little top hat. Right. Yeah, that's uh, like a little, little maybe some old black and white Mary Melodies right. cartoons. Yes, that's that's exactly what you should think of. Lyrically, it's super straightforward. It's about an actress moves to the U.S., but her boyfriend's all, "Oh, honey pie, come back to you. Can't really miss you. Oh, man." Codependent men. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Get over it. She's not, she's got a career to think of. She's not going to think of you. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. She's a strong, independent woman. (laughs) But you know, who also thought they were a strong, independent woman? Charles Manson. No, Charles Manson (laughs) honestly thought that this song was written to him. What? I am not shitting you. Oh, he wasn't crazy at all. Thought this song was about him and that he was using it. As a way to get further instructions from the Beatles. Oh my god. On he is getting bonkers. through Helter Skelter. He was the craziest man ever. Period. So, just, just period. Just wackadoo man. Crazy pants. So. Wow. Fun tidbits about Honey Pie. He, he, wow, Charles Manson really took this album, like, really seriously. Oh, yeah. This was his Bible. Which is so weird because considering all of the story, the backstories behind all of these uh, songs, absolutely none of them had anything to do with the apocalypse or Mm -mm. murdering people Mm -mm. or, you know, instructions. He he really had something wrong with him to think that this was instructions specifically to him. Right. That he had to go and do all these crazy fucking things. He he wasn't he wasn't a smart man. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. Some might have said he was a sweet man. 
Speaking of sweets, let's move on to our next song, <laughs> Savoy Truffle. So this is a George Harrison song, and he wrote this song for his BFF, Eric Clapton. No. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah I this Apparently story. Eric Clapton had a taste for sweets that was a, a contributing to he tooth liked, decay. He liked a lot of chocolate. Bitch liked candy. Savoy Truffle is a type of chocolate that he was his favorite. In the Macintosh Good News Assortment in the UK. Is is that like the British equivalent of the Whitman Sampler? I 100% believe it is. Okay, cool. I don't I, know if it I, is, but I believe it is. I love Whitman Samplers. So does Eric the... Clapton. Good. He should, because Whitman Samplers are fucking amazing. Especially when they give you the map of what everything is. Yeah. I mean, you should not buy any box of chocolates that doesn't have the, map. the guide to tell you what you're eating. I'm not going on a crazy adventure. What if there's pecans or mint? I, I do, do not those. appreciate a box of chocolates that makes you guess what it is. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stick my finger in it and open it up and be like, oh, I don't want to eat that. Right. And then I'm going to like throw it up out of my mouth yeah. first of all and then I'm going to throw it in the garbage whereas it, I could have saved it for someone who might have wanted the exactly. double dark chocolate I want a sampler now <laughs> funny funny Maggie fact I always thought Savoy truffle was supposed to be savory truffle and they were just saying it they wrong just and they spelled, spelled it wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a truffle filled with meat it's a savory <laughs> truffle Hold up, though. How many of you out there wouldn't at least try a savory I truffle? I would at least try a chocolate-covered bacon truffle. Oh, I would. Because no. that sounds amazing. I would eat the shit out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. Now I want chocolate-covered bacon. Okay, let's... Next! Chocolate-covered... <laughs> Speaking of chocolate-covered bacon, <laughs> the next song on the album is Cry Baby Cry. was in the kitchen Cooking breakfast for the queen The queen was in the parlor Playing piano for the children of the king So John wrote this song and he got the lyrics from an advertisement he saw in the newspaper that said, apparently something along the lines of cry, baby, cry, make your mother buy. Yeah. And th- those were the original lyrics. What was it? I, I assume it had something to do with baby or baby stuff. Diapers or something. Bottles. Know, maybe. I don't know, milk. I don't know. Who knows? Sure. But but it, it apparently it was baby stuff. Make your mama buy. And he's like, maybe I should change those lyrics. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't do that. He, uh, he, when he went to India, it was on the shelf. He wasn't really doing anything with it. But he hanging out with Donovan and inspired him to finish it. Fucking Donovan. Fucking Donovan. And of course, he ended up, uh, 
using a lot of heavy <laughs> he used a lot of heavy imagery of fairy tales, nursery rhymes. Some of the lyrics are loosely based on a song of Sixpence. So he was really into that nursery rhyme shit. Thanks, Donovan. Donovan, <laughs> who you might know from writing such hits as Mellow Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Season of the Witch. It's fucking helping the Beatles. <laughs> Great songs on the White Album. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> Quite uh, right. <laughs> the outro is Can You Take Me Back. Paul's just made a little ditty of a song that was from an outtake when he was recording I Will. And they thought, let's just slap it on the end of this song. Sure. Because why not? Sure. They, they, I think at this point they were just doing whatever they felt like. You could tell they were doing whatever they felt like because of the next song. Revolution 9. So you might call me an uncultured swine. I just don't do performance art. I just don't. I don't don't get get into it. So already, Revolution 9 set up to fail with me. But secondly, I don't think it has any place on this album. And I hate it. The song pisses me off. It is very much completely out of context with the rest of the album. And I get you wanted to be edgy and different, John. But (laughs) maybe this wasn't the place to do that. The funny thing is, is that this would not be out of place in a modern album. Right. Not out of place at all. So to do a, 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 it's more like an interlude than Mm. it is an actual song. An eight and a half minute interlude. An eight and a half minute interlude. (laughs) Like to do something like this when they were doing it, especially when... Everything was put on vinyl, not digital. It's it's not a digital, it's not an MP3, it's not anything that you could put on a computer. Computers weren't even thought of no. at that point. But like to put something like that on vinyl was kind of revolutionary in a way. Yeah. Because it's just jumbled mess. And then to have to listen to jumbled mess on a vinyl record. You can't skip that like, shit as easy. Yeah, it's jumbled mess mess on top of jumbled mess. So <clears throat> it's hard to listen to. It's really hard. I mean, thankfully in the days of now where it's MP3, even with CD. Yeah, even cleaned up, even, you know, digitally restored and all of that you shit. You can just skip it. Skip you it. don't have to listen to you it. Don't have to which listen to I it. did a lot. I couldn't. I I have a hard time listening to it. It's too fucking long. It's it's just. I get bored I after about it. ten seconds. Yo, oh, it's I'm bad. Done. I'm it's done. Bad. I'm done. Next. It was originally more than ten minutes long. I think it was like close to like fifteen twenty maybe. And on an album that's already. F- 30 songs long. Yeah. I we could have lost this and it would have been fun. Like the yeah. White Album still would have been just as good. Absolutely. Um, what went into this? Obviously, mostly Yoko. Heavy-handed in this song. I know you you might be surprised. I'm so surprised. I know, I know, I know. 
But George and Ringo actually helped select songs from EMI's tape library, which is where number nine comes from. They got it from some sound effects tape or something. That's, so they yeah, just that loop it and loop right. it and loop it. And it's just looped songs, looped sounds. And they put it all together. Paul said, nope, I'm out. Had nothing to do with it. Apparently, one would say because who would want to be involved with this? But apparently in the six, around 66, 67, he was doing work with other groups and a little bit of solo stuff. And he thought, he, he not that he thought, he did already do some avant-garde stuff. And so then he got mad when George made, or I'm sorry, when John made this, because he felt, well, now everyone's going to think that John's the avant-garde one, but I'm the avant-garde one. And, oh, uh. just like, you know, he wrote Helter Skelter because he wanted to be like the, the edgy yeah. one yeah. when that yeah. was something that John would actually kind of write. Yeah. When I thought it was just that Paul thought this was shit, turns out he just kind of was having a hissy fit, I think. This is... I'm beginning to think that this whole album was just like one giant fucking hissy fit. It probably <laughs> Between was. all four of them. Except for, I will give George and Ringo some credit and say, Ringo's, I've been working on this song for five years. Can I please, <laughs> Can I please just put it on album? Album? I just want one song. Just one song. Just one. And George is saying, I think, I think I'm good enough. And Eric Clapton is saying, bro. Bro, you're good enough. You've made it. What are you doing? Eric Clapton's just George Harrison's, like, hype guy. He is. In the background, just, like, his cheerleader. Come on, you can do it, George. And meanwhile, you got Paul and John just, I'll write this song. If anything, just going through this album has given me, like, so much more respect for Eric Clapton. (laughs) You know who the real winner, <laughs> the real winner, the real winner here of this is album Eric is Eric Clapton. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Clapton. <laughs> he wins the White Album Good Award. Good job. Good job, Eric Clapton. Good job. <laughs> oh, speaking of good, we're going to finish it all up, wind it all up with the very last song of the oh, album. The last one? Last song. No. Get ready, guys, for a little closing, little closing song. Good night. Sweet Little Lullaby, written by John, performed by Ringo. Huh. Yup. John actually wrote this song for his son Julian as a lullaby song. <clears throat> and he felt it was a bit mushy for his tastes, mm-hmm. so said, Hey Ringo, <laughs> would you like to sing a song? <laughs> and of course Ringo said, sure, why not? Of course. Yeah, why not? But John wanted it to be kind of a cheese fest, so... He gets with their producer, George Martin, says, I want it to be, you know, that old Hollywood style, singing in the moon crap, Judy Garland. Very, like, singing in the rain kind of thing. Yeah, he really wanted that feel. So, George Martin 
does the orchestral arrangement, takes care of that. They get session singers for background. And Ringo ends up being the only Beatle on this track as Hmm. the singer. Paul actually said later of John's decision, I think John felt it might not be good for his image for him to sing it, but it was fabulous to hear him do it. He sang it great. We heard him sing it in order to teach it to Ringo, and he sang it very tenderly. John rarely showed his tender side, but my key memories of John were when he was tender, and that was what has what remained with me. Those moments where he showed himself to be a very generous, loving person. I always cite that song as an example of the John beneath the surface that we only saw occasionally. I don't think that John's version was ever recorded. And I just, oh, I kind of want to hear John's version. Right? And it just makes you feel, maybe they didn't all just hate each other the whole time. Maybe they did love each other. And, and even though this was a hot fucking mess of an album, it's still real sweet. They still loved each other. And they still, you know, wanted what's best. They didn't hate each other. They still made it work. They, they made, still it, made work. it happen. It's kind of like a sweet note to end it on. Aww. Yeah. Now, I mean, you kind of, you need to end this massive, hot mess of an album on a sweet note. Yeah. You can't. You can't end it on a revolution. You can't end it on a helter-skelter. You can't end on Revolution 9. Yeah, you can't end it on that shit. You have to end it on a very sweet note. You do. And that's perfect, and that's exactly what he did. Now, I'm gonna rip your heart out a little bit. Oh, Jesus. I don't think that (laughs) Julian Lennon, his son, I don't think he even... He never knew that that song was written for him. That's right. He did Until John died. Right. So Julian's hearing this song his half his life, didn't know until after his dad died, he wrote you a song. Mm-hmm. Because towards the later half of John's life, he kind of was shit to Julian. He yeah. moved to the States. He didn't spend a lot of time with him. He was very much an absentee father. Julian had a lot of bitter feelings. So imagine... Finding out after your dad dies, with you're probably so filled with all these complex emotions, and well, then you find out, dad wrote this beautiful song for you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how how old was Julian when John died? He had to have been twenties, I feel like. Oh really? He was, yeah, he was born in the sixties, I believe. No, so he, he was probably a teenager. Yeah, that's true. Because he was Cynthia and John's son. Cynthia and John broke up in 68. Oh, Sean was uh, John and Yoko's yes. son. Yes. Okay. So, and he was a b- bit more of a dutiful father. Yoko was a terrible stepmother, I guess you could say, to Julian. When John died, she didn't even let Julian come over for the funeral. Yeah. There's some shady shit that went on. Wow. There. She Yoko'd her own stepson's father's funeral. <laughs> She's she's good at Yoko. And if there's one thing Yoko could do, she, she can Yoko. <laughs> Yoko's real good at Yokoing. Yeah. She Yokoed the shit out of John's life. <laughs> so, final takes on the album, though. You know, yeah, when you really dissect it, it is a mess, but it's a beautiful Somehow mess. it works. It works so well. And you really look at it and see every individual Beatles talents and then realize this is where it fell apart. Yeah. This is where Which all is, of it falls apart. It, it, not to jump the gun or anything, but like the you it's very much the same thing with Fleetwood Mac, which we're going to cover next week. Um it's 
when it comes to Fleetwood Mac, you can tell which songs on each album are written by mm-hmm. who. You can pick out the Stevie Nicks uh, songs. You can pick out the Lindsey Buckingham songs. You can pick out the Christine McVie songs. Mm-hmm. And they're very distinct. Uh, and they all have their own, you know, traits and whatever. But somehow, when you put them all on an album, it fucking works. And, and it works so beautifully. Good. And it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. And it's the same thing with it's, the Beatles. They all yeah. have their own styles. They all have their own uh, writing styles, their own techniques, their own... They like, you know, George Harrison really liked the sitar for a long mm-hmm. time. And, you know... Everybody has their own thing, but somehow, even even on the White Album, when the, they're not even cooperating with each other to help each together. other record their own fucking songs, somehow when you throw them all on an album, it, it works. A hundred percent. And, you know, they did have two more albums after this, and they're great albums. I love Abbey Road, arguably maybe my favorite. And you do still get their distinct sounds, but this is just... It's a story, and it's an interesting story to listen to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of artists, every artist, I feel like, after the Beatles, is influenced by the Beatles. And I feel every artist definitely attributes the White Album. Mm-hmm. You get a bit of your own individuality through it. Uh, one of the reasons I know the, uh, the White Album pretty well is there is a mashup DJ called DJ Danger Mouse who took the White Album and Jay-Z's Black Album and made the Gray Gray Album. album. I do remember that. All right. After you're done listening to this, go (laughs) listen to the Gray Album. It's so fucking good. He takes the background, the instrumentals of the White Album, he takes Jay-Z's lyrics and he puts them together and it's boner jams all day, every day. (laughs) So good. You know, you can... Every style of music, every type of musician... Definitely influenced by them. Even Dave Mustaine <laughs> is influenced oh, by the Beatles. Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine even it's says... It's going to be the butt of... Him and Ars Ulrich are, Ulrich are going to be the butt of, of almost every joke. every joke. Every joke. From now until he turns... And now until the last podcast we ever make. You know, Dave Mustaine once said, quote... But what I learned from the Beatles was how to move the root a half or full step while keeping the rest of the chord suspended, which is really cool. It's yeah, it's a, really cool. It's a, I, I get it, though, after I read that. If you're a music nerd, you know anything about chords, and you think, oh, yeah, no, I hear that, though. He, he loves to listen to the White Album and his songs like Cry Baby Cry, Rocky Raccoon, and Dear Prudence. So now you know a little bit more. About, about Dave. Mr. Dave Mustaine. Dave Poodle Hair Mustaine. It looks real good on him. It he does. Pulls it he off pulls it good. off. He pulls it off. Good job, Dave Mustaine. <laughs> good job, Beatles. And you know, if you know these songs, go just go to Spotify, go to YouTube, find these songs, find the White Album. It's amazing. Just You're doing yourself listen a favor. To it. Listen to it from start to finish, all the way through. Don't shuffle, don't skip. Even if you hate the song, just fucking listen to it. You can skip Rev Nine like halfway through it. That's fine. That's fine. You can like just like listen to like two minutes. I won't tell nobody. We're not gonna tattle on you. Tell nobody. (laughs) (laughs) And that I think covered the White Album pretty good. You know. Hopefully, you guys tune in next week. We cover more little morsels of goods. 
of rock candy. And I, I next appreciate week we're going to do Fleetwood Mac. So, you know, get ready for that. That's more excitement. I'm pretty excited about that because they are one of my absolute favorite bands. I'm ready. I, I don't have a whole lot of favorite bands that uh, started, that came together after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are very few of them. So, like... Uh, Fleetwood Mac is one of one of my favorites that started well before I was born, which makes me feel a little bit young. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little we bit. got something going for us. But uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited for that. I'm prepared to learn something. And y'all got something to learn, too. Oh, you're going to learn some stuff. I'm excited. I got some hidden gems in there that you might not know. Is it? You know what? I'm not going to say it. There's, I'm just ready for it. it there's, I'm here there's for it. There's cults involved. Ooh. There's 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 some good stuff involved. All right, so. I'm excited. Well, that does it for Rock Candy this week. Thanks for listening, and thank you. Come in next week. Party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Yeah, thanks.